Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew uh, chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, as we finish out the chapter here, verses 20 through 30. Regularly, I kind of struggle through in preparation, preparing for the sermon, uh, the challenge of thinking through how do we kind of approach the text as ours? I say it most Sundays in some fashion that while this was written a long time ago, it was written for you specifically today. Um, There are some passages that that's an easy thing for us to believe. Um, There are some passages that it's very, very difficult to believe. Uh, I'm going to lovingly suggest this chapter, I think, or this portion of the chapter has both of those categories, ones that are easy for us to believe and ones that are very, very difficult for us to believe. And I would encourage you to pay particular attention to the part that maybe is a little bit bigger of a reach for you, uh, whichever half of it it is for you. God's word for you today. Then he, Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you! Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son." And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Father, would you please bless the reading and now the preaching of your word, that your people might hear from heaven. 
Would your spirit be pleased to work, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, if you're here listening or online listening on YouTube or whatever format at some point in the future, uh, the good news is you made it through 2020. Right? You made it. Maybe by the skin of your teeth, maybe with tail feathers on fire, maybe actually excelling and flourishing in every imaginable way, but you made it. We're here January 3rd, I think is the day, I'm not sure, 2021. It'll take me a while to get the final digit right when I write my checks. Now, the good news is that you made it, and that's the happy part of it. The bad news is, well, uh, you know, I've been saying it now for a number of weeks, perhaps even months. I suspect uh, 2021 is actually going to be harder than 2020. I suspect, actually, we're just now entering into the difficult season for the life of God's people, and not for perhaps for the reason you think. 2020 was certainly a unique year in terms of my life. I've been employed in some fashion by the church for, I think, 22 and a half years at this point. It'll be 23 in March. Some fashion employed by some PCA church, and never in all of those years of ministry have I seen a year like 2020 in terms of what the Lord kind of actively working in the lives of His people and what He's been doing. I suspect, though, that 2021 is a much more challenging year for a reason that I think is going to be abundantly clear over the next matter of weeks and months, and it's this. Most of us don't really know how to deal with difficulty very well, and when life gets challenging or our schedule gets upset or our routine gets disrupted, we default rapidly. I mean, it is so quick to really poor habits. And I I can honestly say, I don't think in any season of my ministry have I ever watched so many bad habits been built so quickly, even as they're being exposed to not work. And how rapidly we're kind of clinging to things to try to kind of make our life function a little bit better. And even as they fall apart, we're still kind of accumulating all of these options and things that we're trying to to build together and hold together so that our lives function just a little bit better. I think 2021 is in many ways the year that our chickens come home to roost, so to speak. Our bad habits begin to develop and mature and give us the fruit that bad habits always give. It's why I suspect for many of us, I mean, recognizing this church exists in a community that is uh, largely upper middle class, and if we're going to actually be kind of really just blunt about 2020, upper middle class has been one of the, the portions of the American culture that have been the least impacted. I mean, if we're going to be candid, we've, our community is one of those communities that's been one of the least impacted anywhere in our great country. But it hasn't stopped us from overreacting, and it hasn't stopped us from building spiritual habits that I suspect will be hard to break. 
Matthew chapter 11 addresses the attitude that deals with those bad habits. It addresses the attitude of those that have not handled change correctly. It addresses the attitude of those that have seen a culture that is upset, topsy-turvy, in turmoil around them and have handled it poorly. In the kind of context of the larger book of Matthew, remember, he doesn't really tell it chronologically. He's telling it primarily thematically. But what he's highlighted thus far in the book is that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the King of kings and the Lord of glory. He is the King, the messianic King of God's kingdom, and he is ruling and reigning even now. He is God himself, and he has all of the proof that he needs to have to show that. One, he understands the scriptures, and he uses them masterfully in the Sermon on the Mount, showcasing how we can get prideful in our own righteousness, but God's law strikes at the heart. He's displayed God's power by being victorious over sickness being victorious over demons, being victorious over all of the things that plague human existence, he showed that he's bigger and greater and grander than all of those things. With the vast majority of that happening around his home base, Capernaum. He's done all sorts of miracles, things that any one of them would have melted our minds, things that would have been too marvelous for us to even fully comprehend. Now, what's happening in the local context, we actually know this section kind of chronologically happens from Luke. Uh, We know this takes place as the 72 are returning. Remember, he sent them out to do ministry. They go out and do ministry in his name, and then they return, and they kind of have a debrief session as to what their ministry looked like as they told the region about who Jesus is. That's what's taking place in this section where uh, they've kind of said, well, look, the community's really not listening to you, Jesus. Uh, They're seeing your miracles. They're uh, watching you, you know, feed 5,000 or whatever else your miracles are, but they're not fully believing in you. And that's a problem. So Jesus begins in verse 20 with hard words, and I would suggest for many of us, uh, these are, this is a paragraph that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. This is the part of the Bible that we don't enjoy believing to be true. Jesus addresses the people around him and gives a stern warning against unteachable pride. An unteachable spirit 
of pride. He begins in verse 20, then he began to to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. He was located in Capernaum, and the vast majority of his miracles and such had been done either in Capernaum directly or in the surrounding region. You think almost half of his disciples had come from this specific region when he had called them. Uh, He's uh, done miracle after miracle after miracle, either in Capernaum or its suburbs, you know, like Charlotte and Fort Mill and places like that. And he begins to denounce them, and Matthew explains in verse 20 the entire kind of framework of the paragraph. He is denouncing them. He's speaking against them. He's making declarations against them because they saw what Jesus was doing and did not turn from their sins. They saw who Jesus was. They, they observed him. They actually got to witness him taking the sick and making them well. They got to observe him turning water into wine. They got to observe him feeding a crowd. They got to observe him raising the dead. And rather than being transformed or rather than being convicted by that, rather than acknowledging that they're in the presence of God, they just kind of turn their head and pretend like nothing's really that different and my life can continue the way that it always has. They saw his mighty works and they did not repent. He now turns to two kind of specific illustrations, Tyre and Sidon and then Sodom. And we saw Tyre and Sidon mentioned earlier, we read in Ezekiel, it's also addressed in Isaiah, I think, 23, where uh, he lays out kind of prophecy after prophecy after prophecy against Tyre and Sidon. Uh, Tyre and Sidon were famed for their pride. Like when you wanted to use an example of a, of a cocky person, you used somebody from Tyre and Sidon. Those were the kind of categories that you would have used. If you, know, you think about your childhood and where you grew up, the category of person that you would have used as an example of what a, a cocky person represented. Perhaps it's a fan of the Ohio State University right now. They would be in that category most likely in full effect. I know it hurts to even say it, doesn't it? Here, Jesus in verse 21 says, Woe to you, Chorazin, that would be like Fort Mill. Woe to you, Bethsaida, that would be like Huntersville, if we're thinking of Capernaum being Charlotte. It would be kind of regional suburbs. Woe to you, these suburban towns, for if the things that have been done in you, the mighty works that Jesus had done, if they had been done in Tyre and Sidon, the most hard-hearted, stiff-necked, proud place in all of planet Earth, if those miracles have been done there, people would have repented and believed. But instead, rather than having all the fruits of repentance, these people listening to Jesus, well, they just can't be bothered. 
They, they just can't be bothered. They can't uh, let this idea impact their life. It, it, nothing can disturb them, disturb their brains, can disturb their hearts from the, the normal routine of going forth day after day after day of the normalcy of life. Out of all the contents of the scriptures to proclaim, this is certainly not one of my favorite topics. I love talking about how the Lord heals the sick, physically or spiritually. I love talking about how the Lord comforts the weary. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. I love talking about how Jesus forgives sins. And he does it at a cost only to himself and no one else. Be candid, I don't really enjoy talking about this reality. That Jesus condemns the spirit of pride that witnesses his mighty deeds and never lets it upset their life never lets it convict them of sin, bring to their mind that there's a spiritual reality, that there's a a spiritual world. I don't like talking about it particularly because of the community in which I minister. A community that is marked by intelligence, an extremely educated community, a community that's marked by wealth, that people have figured out how to work hard and to use the intelligence that God has given them, a community that is marked by uh, a great understanding of how the world operates and how to utilize the tools uh, that God has placed in their hands to, to kind of harness their life, and a community that is by and large hard-hearted when it comes to dealing with who God is. I think in the 12 years I've been here, the population of Fort Mill has grown by two and a half times. Have the churches grown by two and a half times over? Ours has. (laughs) Praise God, right? Ours has grown by uh, seven times over, I think. Praise God for that. What a, what a point of grief. We hear traffic passing right behind our wall here. People that pass day after day with hearts too prideful to listen to who Jesus is. Well, if we were universalists, that would be okay, I guess, right? Well, they don't know Jesus, no big deal, it's fine. You're missing out, but you'll be fine in the end. Well, Jesus isn't done. Verse 22, I tell you it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Now, please understand, I I read the reasons why Tyre was condemned. I didn't read what God is going to do to them. I mean, the one part you got was that the town would be tore down, that their daughters on the mainland would be slaughtered. But it's three chapters of gruesome 
description kind of characterizing God's wrath in, in complete and total destruction. See, that's the other thing that Tyre and Sidon function as is kind of symbolically is they're great representations of great representations of proud people, but proud people that are destroyed by God. Right? Again, think the Titanic, the unsinkable ship for like, you know, 48 hours. Good job. And then everyone dies. Tyre and Sidon function the same way as this great example of the wrath of God. And intriguingly, Jesus here is saying, look, if you're interacting with my ministry, if, if, if you're seeing who I am and seeing my mighty works and turning a deaf ear to them, turning a blind eye to them, maintaining a hard heart that is kind of unperturbed by who I am, understand their judgment's bad, but it's nowhere near as bad as what you're going to get. And some of us, we might say, well, Michael, none of us are watching Jesus work today. Why are you making a comparison? How does this even apply for us today? I I suspect, actually, probably the closest comparison, just in the easiest, are for the children of the church. Right? If you grow up in the church, you are privileged to see all of the mighty deeds of the Lord Jesus done over and over and over again in various ways and fashions. You get to see the miracle of resurrection where the Lord takes a person who is dead spiritually and raises them to life and makes them new. We've been able to enjoy that a number of times over the years that we've been together worshiping and to celebrate and to be encouraged as we watch someone who is spiritually dead be raised to life and we marvel at that and we thank God for them and we rejoice in them. We watch the sick be healed, and I I certainly mean spiritually, but in this church, we've watched it physically, have we not? Where the people of God have gotten together and prayed, and people that should be dead are not dead and are alive and in this room right now. It's simple for us to try to kind of marginalize this and say, well, that was back when Jesus was actually working. He still is. In fact, actually, as we get later in the book here, he says, it's better that I go away from you and the things of power that you're going to see will surpass what you've already seen. It's one of the great sadnesses of ministry is is watching people motor on day after day after day after day after day without ever letting this book upset their lives and make them uncomfortable, perhaps even make them miserable for a season to change them in the end. Well, Jesus doesn't stop, I perhaps maybe wish he had, but he's perfect wisdom incarnate, so he knows what's right. Verse 23, and you, Capernaum, as a community, are you going to go to heaven? Is this town, the great town of Capernaum, are you going to be exalted into heaven? No, no. You as a town, you'll be brought into judgment, you'll be brought into Hades. Why? Well, because if the things done in your midst had been done even in Sodom, well, then people would have been changed. 
You remember, Sodom was not a nice place. And if you go back and read your Old Testament, that's one of those great parts of the Bible where the Lord talks about sin so graphically that you have to figure out how to say it carefully in the pulpit when you've got young ears listening. In fact, they were such a portrait of wickedness that the Lord, in his judgment, destroyed them with fire from heaven, consuming the town. And here saying, look, Capernaum, it's going to be worse. Sodom, the perfect illustration of judgment, they're they're not nearly as bad off as you're going to be because the opportunity that you have forsaken. Verse 24, be more tolerable for them than for you on the day of judgment. Friends, I I strongly mean for us to at least, and again, as I said before, even reading the scriptures, for us to emotionally wrestle with those passages that don't resonate with us. There are some of us in the room where, where we haven't realized it, but the universalism of our culture has infected our subconscious. It's infected the back of our minds, and we just sort of think all of the time, everybody's going to be all right in the end. The sad reality is Jesus does not believe that. You might, but he doesn't. And he's right, and we're wrong. And that should, that should really kind of rattle our souls, shouldn't it? Teenagers... I mean, specifically for you, as you're in that kind of era of life in which you're beginning to kind of wrestle through what it means to be an almost full-grown human. I jokingly, in youth ministry, used to call our teenagers half-persons because they're people, but they're not yet fully grown up. Will you be that person that watches all of the mighty things that God has done and then never let Jesus rattle your life? Will you talk to the adults in here and find out exactly how he did that for them? What what it means to have your life transformed by the Lord Jesus. For me, happened on uh, Highway 51 and Highway 74 over out in Matthews, driving the family van, thinking through the realities of the faith and how inconveniently it was that I didn't get to be in charge of my life forever. If we think through this and we're honest, it should also force us to have kind of this really honest, horrible, and emotional response to understand that, guess what? People actually do receive the judgment of God. And if we really believe that, we'll live differently, won't we? Makes it a little bit easier to be people who mourn when we know that people that we love people that we delight in, people that share our very soul, it feels like, might not share our eternity. I might give one additional application is it might also be appropriate that God's people would labor, I mean actively labor, to have a teachable spirit. You see, in many ways, these people in Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida, they're like 
the comedy act that goes on one of those singing shows. You know the singing shows I'm talking about, where a person goes in to try out their voice to show America how much talent they have or how well they sing or whatever, and most of the people are brought on the show because they have a tremendous voice and we get to enjoy the gifts that God has given them. But every season, they bring on somebody who's terrible, but refuses to listen to wise counsel, refuses to listen to the people that tell them, you're awful, you should stop, refuses to listen to the people like, you can't hear pitch, man, you need to go home. And so they go on national television, international television, and make a fool of themselves because they refuse to listen to wise counsel. Unfortunately, I think sometimes Christians, in an effort to kind of assert our Christian freedom, and I think actually even in 2020, we mistake pride for courage. You'd be amazed the number of conversations I've had in the last year where people are talking about how we need courageous Christians, and what they're actually advocating for is a prideful, unteachable spirit. You're right, we do need courageous Christians. We need Christians that are willing to mourn, even to the point of tears, if it means it publicly. We need people that are willing to suffer, even to the point of public shame, for the name of Jesus. We need people who are going to be so holy, they refuse to defile themselves, even if it means their career. We don't need more prideful Christians. I would encourage you to contemplate your own heart when you think of courage. Are are you actually thinking about an unteachable spirit? An unwillingness to listen to what God is saying in his word? Jesus clarifies it. In the next section here, providing a contrast, he then at that time declares and gives this sweet interaction with his Father in heaven, and he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. He he explains God's value set. Remember, God's economy doesn't match ours. God's value set doesn't match ours. We value things that he doesn't value. Uh, in many cases, uh, and um, his is right and ours is wrong. But interestingly here, what are the things that he already goes ahead and explains that are, are far less valuable to him? Well, human wisdom and human understanding. Intelligence, the ability to discern how the world works, it does not matter to him if you're Stephen Hawking. He does not care. What he values is, and here little children, he doesn't mean the innocence of little children, it's uh, the teachable spirit of a child. For those that have been in educational profession, educational world, certainly children misbehave, and that's complicated, but children are far easier to teach than adults. I mean, again, I'm talking about, I've been employed by the church now for more than two decades. The first decade was dealing primarily with children, second decade dealing primarily with adults. I might let you know which one's easier. It's not this one. 
And part of it is because children, it's so easy to kind of see when their defense mechanisms kick in and when they kind of stiffen their spine and when they kind of set their jaw and they say, I'm just not going to listen to you. Adults, we're a bit more sophisticated in our rebellion, a bit more sophisticated in our unwillingness to listen, and it's uh, so much easier for us to say, we've got it all figured out. Like, we got it all figured out. I love how science is even confirming this as we now have access to see inside the human brain. This is one of those things that has been marvelous to me over the last couple of years as I've began to understand it. When children learn, their brains write new pathways. It's one of the reasons why historically education has valued memorization at an early age is to write tons of pathways in their brain for their brain to use. Adult brains are lazy, and they're tired, and so they don't write new pathways if they can help it. And if they have to get from here to here, they will not write that pathway if they can go all the way this way or this way and not have to write anything new. It's amazing how we can watch the brain work this way. Now, we can see it as it happens. Adult brains do not like to learn. They do not like to be taught. That's why you teach your kids as much as you can when they're young. Write the pathways in their mind when they're young. Interestingly, Jesus is saying the same thing spiritually for us as adults. Look, what do I value? I don't value that person who thinks they have it all figured out. That's not the valuable thing to me. What I value is a child who comes and sits before me and says, Father, teach me I don't understand. That kid that hits pre-algebra and says, whoa, we're using letters and numbers together and I don't get it. Can you please teach me? The first time you're learning a foreign language and they start using case endings, what on earth are those? The Lord loves a humble spirit. And I'll be honest, I mean, this is not something that comes easily for Americans in general, South Carolinians in particular, reformed South Carolinians in specific. This is not in the DNA of what we naturally are prone to be. And if we were to make the joke about what the PCA is, it would certainly be the khaki pants and blue shirt club. I'm in it right now currently. It would not be a people known for having as part of our kind of natural warp and woof of who we are, the, the DNA of the PCA and, and, and us is to be a, a humble, teachable spirit. Those that listen really well. How do you get that? Well, first and foremost, I would say, please ask, ask God. Ask him to give you a teachable spirit. And we've run into already a number of cases where he says, look, you don't have it because you don't ask. (laughs) Many of us don't ask for teachable spirits because we're afraid we'll actually have to learn and find out that we're wrong. And for some of us, there is no greater fear than finding out that we're wrong. I mean, how just think about it. How easy is it for you to say those words? Or do they like to kind of stick in your craw? 
over something that matters. I mean, I don't mean something stupid, but I mean something that matters. Is it hard for you to just look at, at the other person, look at your spouse, look at your child, look at your neighbor, and say, you know what? I was wrong. Well, if we're going to be honest with this, uh, the reality is we failed, you failed, I failed. If we're going to honestly talk about having a teachable spirit, if you think you've been successful at having a teachable spirit, I worry for you. Uh, We can talk about that another time privately, but I do worry for you. Interestingly, I love how Jesus then kind of walks us through, well, (laughs) you should be worried, but not for the reason you think. Jesus explains, verse 26, yeah, this is how you've designed it, God. It's okay. It's a good thing. Verse 27, it's a great thing that Jesus is the mediator to do what his people can't. Kind of put more crassly, don't worry, don't panic, don't freak out. Jesus is the perfect mediator. Look at what he says here in verse 27. In light of this, all all wisdom has been handed not to the wise of the world. It's given to the Son, and the Son gives it to those with teachable spirits. 27, all things have been handed over to Jesus. They've not ultimately been handed to his church. They've not directly been handed to me or to you. They're handed to Christ by the Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. He's he's laying out here this great relationship of, look, yeah, you're a mess. He knows that. Jesus is not hidden from him. He knows your heart, written large like a scroll. He can read it anytime he wishes. He knows your sins, and in light of that says, look, if you need help, the help is not in yourself. It's not a, you know, solo bootstrap, I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps and just work harder. It's not a, you know, if I get my right perfect set of New Year's resolutions, maybe this year I'll be able to follow them. It's not if I just clean up this one little area, this private secret sin or this hateful thing in my heart, then I'll be okay. Friends, that, that's the, the, the paradigm of, of Capernaum. That's the approach of a community that that doesn't understand its sin to say, well, if I can just do this, I'll be fine. Interestingly, Jesus here kind of makes what on first reading seems like a bit of a hard left turn, but where he goes, look, a teachable spirit really can only ultimately be accomplished by the Son. The ministry of the Lord Jesus in the lives of his people and knitting those people to the Father through the Spirit's ministry, through this wonderful mediatorial work of Christ where he is our go-between. And again, if we were to give application, we would say, ask. You want Jesus to work in your life? Ask him to. It amazes me constantly how many Christians just don't ask. I mean, we ask for things, but we ask for all the dumb things, right? Can the lights be green so I'm not late to work? Can, can the things that, I mean, can, they're, they're not that, well, they're dumb, yeah. Instead of, could I be holy? Could I have a teachable spirit? Because I know I don't. Can I be sanctified of that willful pride that just won't go away? Ask. Interesting thing here is how Jesus 
ends this paragraph, and it's such an intriguing transition. Salvation is, is ultimately, it's hidden from those that are worldly wise, it's given to those that are teachable. The only path of salvation, verse 27, is through Jesus. There's no alternative track, there's no second way, it's Christ and Christ alone. And interestingly, Jesus here then doesn't say that it's kind of some closed club where he's trying to get rid of everybody in the riffraff. What's the old quote? I I would never want to belong to the kind of social club that would let me be a member. That's not what Jesus is doing here and saying, well, all you losers can stay out there and the holy ones can be. No, instead, how does he end this? Come to me. Come, come in. Come to me. Come meet with me. Come be with me. Let's be in fellowship. Who? And two categories he really gives here. First, come to me all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And to the weary. Jesus gives rest. Now, for some of us in the room, it's perhaps been a long time since we were not a Christian and we forget how wearisome life is without proper meaning fixed to it. We forget how wearisome life can be when it's not anchored in the reality of who God is with the answers that God provides. First and foremost, that's the category he's addressing. First and foremost, if you're laboring in your own strength, Friend, you're carrying a burden you don't need to carry. And more than that, a burden you were not designed to carry. Instead, you have a Savior here who's saying, look, you want rest. You want peace. You want hope. Come to Him. Meet with Jesus Now, as a secondary category, some of us are finding ourselves perhaps in a little bit of holiday fatigue. We need a vacation from our vacation. We need a holiday from our holidays, and perhaps we are finding ourselves a little weary. Perhaps 2020 has finally done us in. We made it into 2021, but not by much. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The second category here he addresses in 29 deals specifically kind of within a Jewish context. Uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. A yoke was uh, a thing that sat on the shoulders, usually of animals, designed to help them carry heavy loads so that it would sit in a more balanced fashion. If you ever had to plow with animals or things like that, it was so that it, it pulled evenly. And what Jesus is addressing here is uh, all of the kind of the rules and the regulations of uh, the false narratives of what the Jews, the Pharisees, had misunderstood, uh, misunderstood the Bible to be. Uh, we would use the term today what would be politically correct. It was the, the gigantic system of morality that their culture had assumed was right and wrong. It didn't match the Bible in any way anymore. But Jesus is saying, look, if you're finding yourself just crushed 
by the morality of a dying culture. Come and find peace. Friends, I suspect this is a message that's going to get more and more and more appealing the longer 2021 runs. If we find ourselves crushed by an oppressive, unbiblical, evil morality of a dying culture, come to Jesus and find peace. Come to Jesus and find peace. 4, verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, that does not mean in any way that you won't have difficulty. In fact, actually, difficulty is one of the great tools that God uses to teach His people, particularly if we're a little bit slow to learn. What it does mean, though, is that He is with you, and He cares for you, and He shoulders the load for you. I suspect many of us find our lives to be a bit wearisome, a bit heavy, and a bit difficult because we're carrying too much weight. I suspect 2021 is going to be a great object lesson on all of the ways that we've been trying to take that burden back from Jesus, where all of our bad habits come home to roost. May it be that we would intentionally flee to Jesus, who's faithful to his promises. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, would you fill us with Christ Jesus, fill us with your spirit even now. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.